last week we spoke a, a great deal about uh, the fact that we as believers have misunderstood largely how God works with us, how God especially works with his children, the, the, with believers. Because we, we failed to recognize, as we talked last week, about the fact that God is not a magician. He is a benevolent father who loves to give gifts to his children. I don't know a benevolent father who doesn't. And God is the epitome of that, loves to give gifts. But the nature of every gift is that it has to be received. The outcome has been that we have forfeited great blessing. We have forfeited all the blessings that salvation was supposed to bring to us, the blessings that deliverance was supposed to bring to us, the, the, the blessing that healing and restoration and deliverance was supposed to bring to us. And we have forfeited those because we fail to understand that the way that we gain access to those is not asking God to give them because he can't give you what he's already given you. When God accepted you, took you, saved you based on your faith and you offered yourself to God and he adopted you as a son he held nothing back every provision of God was given to each of us in that moment when we pray Lord give me strength I'm not trying to say this critically but it's a matter of instruction when we pray Lord give me peace give me strength we're praying in a lack of faith upon the recognition that he's already given us the entirety of his love the entirety of his strength, and the entirety of his peace. But what we have failed to teach well, what we have failed to demonstrate one to another, is not his willingness to give. It's our inability, our lack of teaching to receive. And again, I, I will wear this story out and I'm, I'm, I apologize for it. But I still think the best example is John calling himself four different times in the Gospel of John when he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And for many, many years, I counted that as arrogance. I, it's, it's, I couldn't understand it. Until a few years ago, when I heard someone finally teach on it and understand that what John understood before, long before the rest of the disciples was not the greatness in our life, is being able to tell God, I love you. He knows that. He absolutely can read your heart, and he knows that you love him. But the compelling reality of God is he's trying to get us to understand to find within our human capacity the ability to let God love us. I guarantee you, when that ever hits us and we can receive the fullness of God's love and He fills us with that love, it will change our lives. We will finally, as children of God, know that we are loved extremely beyond our faults, beyond our failures, beyond our disappointments. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you and there's nothing you can do to change that fact. You can't do anything today to make him love you more. And you can't do anything today to make him love you less. Because his love is not based on my performance. His love is based on the fact that he is my father. It's not performance, it's always paternity. I am the son of the living God. Man, if that can ever sink in. If we can ever get that, it will so drastically change our lives. I want to talk to you this morning about an area that is desperately, desperately needed, and we're still struggling badly on how to receive what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. One of the unmentioned burdens, at least we don't talk about it a lot, that kind of runs as this constant river through the Christian life, 
is this question of guilt. Most of us still feel it. We know what we did yesterday. We know where we went. We know what we saw. We know what we did. We know what we spoke. And in our heart lies this subtle guilt. And we don't know really what to do with it. So today's guilt and yesterday's guilt begin to kind of link together as a chain with the full expectation that there's going to be another link tomorrow and another link next week. And we begin to build this chain of guilt that now begins to be a a stronghold around us. Guilt. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't have to. If you have somehow managed to escape it, then you need to be standing and preaching this message instead of me because I have not yet figured out how to fully escape this question of guilt. And I know for some, it's not a small thing, it's a huge thing. So we have things in our life that we are desperately trying to hide. That we would be so embarrassed if the world knew what I had done. We all kind of live in fear that our closet will be thrown open and the world gets to see my sin, gets to see my guilt, gets to see my shame. And it's because we have had such a struggle receiving the answer to our guilt. I will tell you without question, if you're feeling guilt this morning, it is not of God. If you're feeling guilt this morning, God is not producing that guilt. There's someone else There is an enemy coming against you because that sin that you committed, that problem that was yesterday, the mistake that you made, long before you made it, was under the blood of Jesus. If we believe correctly that the blood of Jesus did the perfect work that it was designed to do, your sin, my sin, everyone's sin that accepted him as as Savior, our sin, yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's are already under the blood of Jesus. That's the truth. He is not the one who's creating the guilt. He's the one that created the rescue. He's the one that allows us, by some mechanism, to recognize that what I did is under the blood of Jesus. Now, does that give me permission to keep sinning? Paul said, God forbid. Because when I understand what it cost him to produce that covering, that blood of his son, it doesn't allow me to sin. It compels me not to because he loved me that much. He loved me enough that he would allow his son to die, that that blood could cover my sin. And it does not give me permission to continue, but it compels me not to. But there is a small mechanism between my mistake and his forgiveness that if we don't accept it, if we don't teach it and believe it, receive it for ourselves, the answer Instead of it being relief under the blood of Jesus, it will be the guilt that we feel, and we know who produces it. I want you to go with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew. Matthew 9, chapter 9. I'll just back up to verse 13. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what I mean. He's telling these Pharisees, these religious men, these men who believe that they know the oracles of God forward and backward, who can quote it and know it, and Jesus is saying to them, after he says, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, 
But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Whoa. I want to tell you when he said that, he said something that would have so startled them. Because what those Pharisees knew, what they understood was that Old Testament requirement of sacrifices being offered for sin. They understood sacrifice tremendously. They understood how this was supposed to work. What happened in the Holy of Holies, what happened each year, what happened when the sacrifices were brought, where the atonement was made for the sins of men. They understood well, but when he said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. It was like him saying to us, I will have mercy and not church attendance. I will have mercy and not prayer. I will have mercy and not tithing or offerings. He was saying something so drastic. It was very difficult for them to comprehend in that moment. He says, you need to go away and understand what I mean. Because he says, I will have mercy. What's he telling us? He's saying in this passage that we're reading, I have a desire for everyone who will ever read this from this point forward. I have have a desire for everyone sitting here this morning to understand that the mechanism that causes us to go under the blood of Jesus and not to guilt is that we have experienced and received the mercy of God and Jesus is the one who announced it with this great proclamation. I will have mercy. We are demanding as believers, and we're some of the worst. We want God's judgment to come to this world. We see the wrongness going on. We see the messes in the world. We see all the things that are going on. And our hearts say, God, come and judge. Look at what they're doing. Let them have what they deserve. He says, okay, let's do that. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll start with you. From that cry of your voice for justice, let me start and start giving you what you deserve. Our cry will then be for mercy. I will have mercy. What a strange phrase. What a strange teaching coming against that Old Testament truth that they all knew so well. And he shocked them because the religious leaders knew how specific that sacrifice was. And he brought the Pharisees to anger as he said it. You know something this morning, and I'm sure you do. That God this morning, as the Spirit of God, is walking these aisles, passing in front of you, passing behind you, seeking in every story to show mercy. If you're carrying anything, if there's any part of your story that you're ashamed of, I'm not telling you that you need to stand and announce it, but I'm telling you if it's creating burden and bondage and turmoil in you, then God is passing through these aisles and and, and between these pews this morning, searching every heart, saying, let me give you mercy. Remember the story that Jose told us? It's been probably three years ago now in April when when the the first time we sent money and, and they took it and began this great work in Mexico. It's in April, because in April they have the children's meeting. He said there were about 400 children in the street that day. And here come five men of the cartel walking at he and the pastor. As they get closer, 
They begin to talk to the pastor and then the Jose goes over and a couple of other men go over. These men are wearing masks and carrying automatic weapons. They begin to demand money. And the announcement comes, we don't have any. We gather what we can. We're doing this for these children. And one of the men says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He said, because we love the Lord. And we want these kids to understand what it means to be forgiven. And one of them says, well, he'll never forgive me. And Jose and the pastor tell him, in this moment, if you will ask him, he will forgive you. He took off his mask, handed his weapon to the next guy, got on his knees and asked God to forgive him. The second guy took off his mask, handed his weapon to the third, got on his knees and asked God to forgive him. Those three took the weapons and went off. But here are these two men who have just hit their knees before God and, and asked God to forgive them. And they stood up in that moment forgiven. They stood up in that moment with their sin under the blood of Jesus. They stood up in that moment whole and healed. Why? Because of the mercy of God. And what Jose didn't know until two weeks later is the first man who pulled off his mask and handed the weapon over. When he made the statement, he will not forgive me. He told him, says, Jose, what you didn't know was that that morning I had already killed three men and one of them was a pastor. And for you to tell me that God would forgive me and those two men are serving God today, deacons and pastors. Those two men are serving God, teaching and preaching the love of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, those two men understand mercy. Because there was no reason, no justification for God to forgive them after what they had done. Except within his heart, there is mercy. And I want to tell you, that same God is walking these aisles this morning, looking for anyone who is carrying shame or guilt, heaviness in their heart, because that mercy is given in such abundance. Mercy. He knows what you deserve and has chosen to give you something else. That's mercy. He knows what we deserve and refuses, because of who he is, to give it. Our Christian perspective, unfortunately, has become one that causes us to try to determine the things that are good and that we're supposed to do and the evil things that we're not supposed to do. But Jesus demonstrates a totally different perspective because he is sitting here in a place that the religious world says is wrong, but he finds himself sitting there because it's the perfect place to show mercy. You know the exciting part of what happens when we finally receive mercy? When it begins to flow into us and we finally receive it with the understanding that God intends for us to understand it is that we too will find ourselves in those places that the religious world says are wrong but we recognize as the perfect place to show mercy. We want to get this right so badly that we've determined the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. The places we should go and the places we shouldn't go. Well I want to tell you we have to be very careful. I'm not telling you and giving any, uh, us all permission to go do what we want to do, but I want to tell you, when we have the perspective that Jesus had here, and he's sitting down with those publicans and sinners, he is not concerned that they're going to contaminate him. He was not concerned that what they were doing wrong was going to rub off on him. He was not concerned, but he recognized that sitting down with them, perfect place to demonstrate mercy. He said it, I didn't come for those who didn't need it, I come for those who did. I come to, to bring healing to those who need this mercy.
I come to those whose hearts are broken, whose lives are broken, who are riddled with heaviness because of sin, because of refusal, and because of brokenness, because of hatred, anger, all that's in their life. I've come to show them mercy. And he says, I will have it. I will have it. So how many of us who claim, and we do, the scriptures like I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. How many of us believe that to be true? I'm not, again, I'm not going to ask you a show of hands, but I want you to process this in this moment. Do you believe, according to the scripture, that when you became a believer, he imparted into you righteousness and established the Holy Spirit in you? I hope you know those scriptures well enough to know that that's an absolute truth. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So what is supposed to be the fountainhead of mercy in this world that we know? Right here. But I cannot give away what I don't have. I cannot give you mercy if I haven't received the mercy of God for myself. If I'm still judging myself, beating myself up, condemning myself, hard on myself because of the things that I know that I did yesterday or a year ago or 10 years ago, if I'm still condemning myself for those things, I will have nothing to offer you except the judgment that I know that I can freely give you. But if I've ever received that mercy, if I've ever truly understood what he's talking about when he offers this to us, he's saying that which you deserve, as a consequence of your mistake, as a consequence of your sin, I took on the cross. It's done. I took your sin yesterday, today, and forever. I took it on the cross so that you would never have to feel the weight of it again. I died so that you would always know there's enough mercy to cover what you've done. Because when I receive it, I will begin to let it flow out of me and those around me will immediately recognize the mercy that he gave me. They will feel it. The judgmental eyes, the harsh words, the religious spirit. I can tell you, the, one of the most amazing things I've learned as pastor is the people who fear being contaminated the most are other religious people. They don't want to come to other churches because they've heard what they teach and I'm not going to go and be contaminated by that teaching. I know what I believe and I'm not going to be contaminated by anything else. That religious spirit will always fear contamination. That's why these Pharisees didn't want to go in and sit down because they feared if they went in with those sinners and publicans that they too would become sinners and publicans and be contaminated because they did not understand what Jesus knew is that when you remove the religious spirit that is afraid of contamination and you replace it with the spirit of God, every one of those places begins to be a place where we can demonstrate mercy. And I want to tell you, the world desperately needs to hear and know the story of mercy. They're feeling judged. They're feeling criticized. They're feeling down. They're feeling the burdens. They're feeling the weight. And we were designed, having received the mercy of God for ourselves, to become the fountainhead by which this mercy was, was to go out. But we know the problem. It's not a big issue, not a big question, not a big uncertainty. We know why there's no mercy being spread in the world. It's because of the religious spirit that has taken over the church, the fear of being contaminated, and the struggle to receive the mercy of God for ourselves. Well, I want to tell you this morning, just like I told you last week, God is standing with a gift of mercy right now for anyone who's feeling guilt or shame or burden or heaviness 
from their sin, from their mistakes, from their errors, whether they were yesterday or 10 years ago, God is ready in this moment to exchange your shame for his mercy. He's ready this morning to exchange your guilt for his mercy. Why would we carry the guilt another day? Why would we carry a burden another day if there is a benevolent father, like in this story, who's so ready? He and his disciples were walking in the field, in the grain field. And the Pharisees were following him. I guess they were stalking him. I'm not sure. And he begins to harvest the grain and to winnow it and, and get it clean so that he and his disciples can eat it. The Pharisees come and say, you can't do that. You're disobeying the law. And the same phrase comes out of Jesus' mouth. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. And if you knew what that meant, you would quit judging the innocent. You would quit judging those who have no guilt. What would happen if we began to understand this mercy? I would quit judging other believers who are also under the blood of Jesus. I would quit condemning those who are innocent or guiltless because they too are under the blood of Jesus. You want to talk about some stuff that would build fiber of a strong church? Is if we understood mercy and we quit fussing with each other and comparing each other, and if we would ever start really demonstrating that mercy that we know for ourselves, and I don't have to judge you because God has found you guiltless because of the blood that is over your life. And I don't have to judge you anymore. We can be brothers. We can be the army that God has called us to be, marching on the gates of hell, not distracted by the mistakes of others, but expressing the mercy that we receive for ourselves to the ones to my left and to my right, so that the army marches against the gates of hell. He says, I came to call sinners to repentance. Repentance, we know, means to change your mind. Back in Matthew chapter 9, he says, I've come to sh I will have mercy, and I've come to call sinners to repentance. Repentance means to change your mind. I would ask you this morning, when you consider your mistake, when you consider your sin, when you consider your burden, repent. Change your mind. See it the way God sees it. See your sin the way God sees your sin. Let God show you how He sees your trouble, how He sees what you count as disappointment. Change your mind. See it the way God sees it. Because I, I will promise you, the minute that you allow that, you will be free. I shared with you recently, and I'll end with this. One of the things that's happened to me in this past eight years, and this may sound like arrogance to some, it may be arrogance, I'm not sure, but I refuse to hold against myself those things that God has forgiven me for. Even the stuff that happened yesterday, I refuse to hold it against me if God has forgiven it. Because you see, it's a little bit of strange arrogance for me to hold against myself something that's under the blood of Jesus. Because what that means is that I had to reach under the blood of Jesus and get it and pull it out so that it could continue to hurt me day after day after day. And I refuse. And it has allowed me to live in a freedom that I truly, truly have been blessed and blessed and blessed by the reality of not having to beat myself up, find shame and guilt in the error I committed yesterday that God has forgiven. We thank you this morning, Lord, for the powerful difference that you can make. 
Lord, if anyone is leaving this morning under the conviction of sin, under the shame or guilt, I pray, Lord, for them freedom in this moment. Let them know they don't have to carry it another day. But this invitation doesn't end because we leave. The invitation to come for mercy never ends. Starts in the cry of our heart and ends with a gift given and received. Thank you this morning for the difference in lives that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.